You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we give you thanks for, uh, again, this word you continually hold out to us, these uh, perhaps examples, perhaps bad examples from the Old Testament of how to live, and yet, Lord, that your graciousness and your covenant uh, promises ever hold true despite ourselves. So we look to your word this morning. We ask that you would show us your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's rather lively out there. It's good. Good, good, good. All right, well, uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, um, you know what we've been doing. But if you haven't, um, this profiles and failure uh, is a chance to kind of look particularly at the Old Testament, although you could certainly look in the New, and perhaps some of my colleagues will do that in the future. But looking at examples in the Bible where um, instead of seeing courageousness and uh, uh, strength and faithfulness, uh, we see failure. And again, I don't have to look beyond my own life to find that. Uh, I can look at myself. But it's nice to look at other examples and how God's been gracious uh, for literally thousands of years. uh, And even beyond, since uh, before creation, uh, God's been faithful. As we hear, uh, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It was God's will before the very beginning, as you and I would understand it, uh, to send Christ uh, where we uh, fall short. And so this class is not, uh, again, there was a question last week, um, it's not meant to say go and do as Jacob has done or Jonah or Abraham, uh, but it's to say um, God will always be faithful to his promises. And even where we slip up and fall, uh, he's going to make sure that his will is done. So we do look at Jacob this week. The first week we looked at Jonah. Uh, the second we looked at Abraham. I know that's kind of a strange jump. These are just, honestly, I, characters that I wanted to consider And so this week we look at Jacob, uh, which is fresh in my own mind because I preached on a text from Genesis a few weeks ago. And then this past Tuesday, just sort of, again, God's spirit, uh, Gunter Owens, who works in our children's program, our Sunday school and uh, children's ministries, uh, she taught on Genesis 32, uh, where Jacob wrestles with God throughout the night. So this has been fresh on my mind uh, yet again. So we begin with Jacob's story. Now, who, who is Jacob? Of course, Jacob is uh, the descendant of Abraham and Isaac. He's Isaac's son. And we, we see the birth of Esau and Jacob uh, in Genesis chapter 25. So Abraham has died. Abraham's an old man. And Isaac, of course, carries the promise of God uh, that there would be descendants through Abraham's line and that they would be as numbered as the stars in the sky. And through his descendants, uh, he would bring forth a great nation. And this nation was meant to bless all the nations. And so Jacob is in that line, and Jacob uh, ultimately is the one in which that promise is fulfilled as well. And so here in verse uh, 19 of chapter 25 in Genesis. Actually, let me, let me fast forward just a touch. No, that's fine. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, The older shall serve the younger. 
when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. This is verse 27. This is the conclusion of the chapter 27 and 28. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I'm going to stop there, and I'll, I'll say more uh, in just a moment. Uh, but it's what, what a scene from the very beginning. First of all, we see uh, Rebekah is barren, uh, much like her uh, mother-in-law, uh, Sarah, or Sarai, she was first called, uh, was barren. And God's going to make sure, again, his promise is sure. He, he promised Abraham in chapters 12 and 15 that he would indeed bring him a descendant. Not through his household servant, not through his nephews, uh, not through cousins, uh, but from his own, uh, from his own uh, DNA, we would say, uh, his, own, his own line. And so same with Isaac. Isaac uh, is not going to have uh, God's promises null and void. Uh, God's going to make sure through Rebekah that a son, in this case two sons, are brought forth. And we're introduced to Jacob hanging on to his brother, uh, saying, You may be first, but I am nipping at your heels. And so Jacob, uh, not the most glorious of uh, entrances, I mean, kind of uh, dastardly in its own way. Uh, but, and this is what I'll say about Jacob throughout. You can't hate the player, you just have to hate the game. Jacob's playing the game really well, really, really well. And it's funny to call him a failure because time and time again, he's actually quite successful at what he does. It's funny, we look at this with the, the lens of faith, calling him a failure, but oftentimes in his life, I mean, he's, he's done well for himself. And so time and time again, we'll see that uh, his name, uh, Jacob, which means supplanter, sometimes deceiver, he lives up to that name. He lives up to that name over and over again. And so here, uh, again, at the end of verse 25, we learn more about the brothers as they grow up a little bit. This is verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, it tells you a lot about Jacob. He's in the kitchen with the ladies. He's not outside in the field. He's not out hunting. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but he, he likes kind of the, uh, the inside life. Not that that's a bad thing, but that tells you a little bit about Jacob. So Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So there we have uh, the, the writer, the author of Genesis telling us exactly what happened. Again, you can hate Jacob uh, for what he's done. In, for, in this culture, the firstborn, kind of like in some ways our culture, the firstborn oftentimes is privileged. I'm a firstborn. Uh, my mom's here. I don't think she's partial. But oftentimes we kind of, you know, we kind of get our way. And so Esau, though, comes in and um, he's desperate. You know, he's hungry. He just wants a little food, and he gives up his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Now, I like lentil soup. I love going to Taj India and getting lentil soup. I don't think I would give up my birthright for it. Would you? Again, uh, you can hate the game, but I don't think we can hate Jacob. Jacob's clever. Jacob is a, a clever little guy. And so he tells his brother, if you want to eat, sign the paperwork. 
<laughs> here, here's the contract. Let me know. Will you give me the birthright? And this is exactly what Esau does. Now, I've been so hungry at times and thirsty, I feel like I would almost say anything to get relief, you know, just anything. Give me water. And then you kind of regret what you've done. Uh, you might say, oh, goodness, what have I done here? So maybe Esau has done that. But the writer of Genesis uh, says Esau despised his birthright. He didn't care. He didn't care. He had other things on his mind, uh, hunting and fishing and shooting and what have you. And so uh, Jacob holds this. Now, is this enough? No, Jacob uh, still has to make sure uh, that he fights and gets his way. And so uh, the time comes, Isaac is advanced in age, his, his father, and he's, he's not seeing well, he's not hearing particularly well, his senses are, are dulled. And so uh, he's ready to bless uh, Esau. And again, this is um, something you and I probably can't relate to. Uh, but when a father gives his blessing in this culture, uh, much like when God speaks his word, it's effective, it's true, it's done. It's not to be taken back. And so Isaac, Isaac is ready to bless Esau. He tells Esau to go out and to hunt and find fresh game and to cook it and prepare it just as Isaac would like. And so uh, Esau goes out to do that. Well, Rebecca's listening in the other room, and she knows that Jacob uh, is her favorite, the favored one. And so she tells Jacob, hey, go grab one of those goats. In fact, get two of them, and we're going to make a dish for your father. And we're going to get that blessing for you. We're going to make sure uh, that you get the blessing. This is chapter 27, verse 5. Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them with as delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. You can hear Jacob here. He says to his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. What a line. <laughs> I may start borrowing that one. Uh, I don't grow the best of facial hair. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So Jacob goes and does what his mother says. And again, you can hate Jacob all you want, but there seems to be other players in this. Don't hate the player, hate the game. So he plays the game. He goes and does what his mother says. They prepare the meal. Uh, he puts on the goat skins so that he feels hairy. As he approaches his father, this is all in chapter 27. I'm not going to read it all to you. Um, but uh, essentially his father tastes the food and he's suspicious. He says, your voice, Jacob, your voice, excuse me, Esau, it doesn't sound like you. Do you have a cold? What's going on? It sounds a lot like Jacob. And so he, he tests him and he feels his arm, he feels his neck, and he feels the, the goat's hair. And he's convinced, oh no, this is my hairy son, my hairy red son before me. And so he blesses him. He blesses him with, with all the promises of the inheritance that he's due, even though he's not due this birthright. He's stolen it from his brother. Well, he, he goes on his way, Jacob, and Isaac, with a full belly, uh, you know, is excited about uh, the fact that he's blessed his son. And now Esau comes racing in. He's come back in from the fields. He's brought game that he's prepared. And he says, Dad, I've got something for you, just as you asked. And so Isaac's answer is, wait a minute. We just did this. Who was that who just came in here? And he realized that Jacob, the swindler, the deceiver, the supplanter, uh, has done uh, what his name would suggest he would do. 
but it's too late. The, the promise, the blessing is effective. It's been given. And again, you and I in 21st century Birmingham may not understand that. You know, you and I would say the contract's null and void. He didn't meet the terms and stipulations. He lied to me. You know, we might take it to court. Uh, Jacob, it's, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. And so rightfully so, Esau uh, is angry. And his words to his family is, I'm going to go find my brother and I'm going to kill him. This is in chapter 27. And so Jacob has to flee. Jacob is sent to Laban, uh, one of Rebekah, his mother's uh, relatives, her brother. And of course, this is where Jacob begins to kind of, you know, he's, he's got some relief. He's a man on the run, but now he's got a place to stay. And as he's staying there and he's working for um, his uncle, uh, he takes notice. And again, this is odd, but takes notice of his cousin. Um, and, and this is Rachel, uh, and he loves her. And so uh, Jacob works hard uh, to impress Laban, and after seven years, uh, he, can, he can marry Rachel. All in the midst of this, by the way, he has that dream, that glorious dream, where he sees the vision of angels ascending and descending from heaven, and God makes that promise to him. He extends the promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac. And he speaks with him, and he promises uh, that, that God uh, himself will see to it uh, that his blessing is upon him, and that his offspring will be numerous as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, Jacob, your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So despite Jacob's birth, uh, where he's grabbing his brother, despite these shenanigans where he's uh, worn a Halloween costume and uh, pretended to be his brother, uh, all this deception and lying, it's not that God blesses the deception and the lying, but he's chosen to bless this person, uh, even in their faults. And so this is good news, uh, perhaps not for Esau right now, but for Jacob. And as you and I read it for you and me, because um, I've been dishonest. I've told half-truths. I've uh, manipulated and swindled to get my way at times. Just ask my mother as it relates to my brother. We all do this, though, right? I mean, this is, this is human nature. Uh, we, we fight to get our way. And sometimes we do it cleverly like Jacob, sometimes not so cleverly. Uh, but Jacob has been blessed by God. And so in, in the midst of all this, he's still, he's still with Laban, and he starts to get a taste of his own medicine. Remember, this trickster, this shyster, this uh, deceiver, uh, you think he would know to look out for these things. But as he's worked seven years for Laban, uh, he's promised that he can marry Rachel. He's earned uh, the privilege to marry her. And as he goes to bed that night with her, it's dark, and he wakes up the next morning, uh, and to his horror, it's not Rachel, it's her sister, Leah. Now, they must have had some very good wine that night, uh, or it may have been very, very dark to not notice each other. But he wakes up with Leah, the firstborn. And so uh, he goes to Laban, and he says, Hey, what's the deal here, man? You said I could be with Rachel. Why have you given me Leah? And Laban says, aha, she's the firstborn. If you work a seven more years, then you can have Rachel as well. And as much of a failure as Jacob is, he does that. He does that. And so eventually he gets, uh, he gets to be with Rachel. Uh, but God uh, blesses Leah with children. Uh, in, in fact, from her womb come six children, uh, the, the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, six of them come uh, from Leah. But Rachel uh, would receive some as well. 
But you notice that. I mean, Jacob gets uh, a taste of his own medicine. And Jacob has fooled everyone in his family, and now uh, it's come back to him. And how much uh, for you and me is that true as well? I mean, as we live a life of deception, or we live a life of uh, perhaps doing things unrighteously, eventually it catches up with us, right? Eventually uh, we, we reap uh, what we've sown. And so despite all that, though, God's promise is upon him. You can take all these moral categories, and Genesis doesn't tell us, oh, he shouldn't have done that or he should have done that, but you and I can read it and know God's law. He's not done things properly. And yet, in the face of that, uh, God is blessing him. A lot of heartache in between, but God is still blessing him. And so now he's with uh, Leah, he's with Rachel, he has children with uh, their hand servants as well, their handmaidens, excuse me, and uh, all of Jacob's uh, children uh, are manifold. We're seeing the promises uh, playing out in real time. But he still has this Esau problem. He still has this issue of his brother uh, coming to put a hit on him, to kill him. And so uh, Jacob's still a man on the run. And uh, with his time in Laban, uh, Laban's household, he has to start you know, finding a way to get out. You know, he's got to build some wealth for himself. Uh, he's got to establish an out. And so as he works, uh, he plays a trick back on his uncle again. Uh, Laban says, you can have all the speckled goats in my flock, and basically all the ones that are not pure and perfect. And so Jacob goes and uh, plays a little trick. Uh, He makes sure that all the ones that are born, he snatches those up. This was not the deal, but he does it anyways. Again, you can hate the player all day long, but truly it's the game we should hate. And he's playing it well. So now he's got to be on the run from Laban because Laban is mad as well. He's got a way of angering those around him. I know I'm skipping through this quickly. Uh, There's a lot to Jacob's story. I want to get to the wrestling because we've only got a few more minutes. So being a man on the run, um, he's he's gotten away from uh, Laban. Everything kind of works out. And now he's got all these possessions, this massive household, these children, uh, these several wives, and he's got to make sure that they're safe. Uh, So he splits them into two camps, basically gambling, saying, okay, if Esau finds one of these camps, at least the other side will be preserved. And so in doing that, he splits them, but he decides to face the music. And so instead of being with either of the camps, he goes alone uh, to the river Jabbok. And so that same night, this is uh, fast-forwarding way ahead to chapter 32 uh, for your reference, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. Now this is a familiar scene uh, if you've been in church recently. Uh, This was the the Old Testament reading just a few weeks ago. And it's such a peculiar text. I've talked about it several times now, and I'm glad to talk about it again. Um, But 
the text tells us he encounters a man. It doesn't say it's God. It doesn't even say it's an angel. It's simply a man that he encounters in the middle of the night, in this kind of liminal space between dusk and dawn. And so Jacob encounters him. And remember, in Jacob's mind, Esau's hunting me. Esau's perhaps sent out a mercenary to find me and kill me. I mean, if you've been in life where you're constantly looking over your shoulder, worried about the wrath that might come from your boss or a coworker or an ex-girlfriend, I'm not going to name names. Uh, but, you know, we, we often have fears and we're running from things. And so that's usually what's on our, on our mind, too. You ever wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat with a dream and you're just stressed out about a project at work? or you're stressed out about that conversation you have to have uh, with your neighbor or whomever it is. I mean, you can imagine the anxiety Jacob's feeling. So he encounters this man, and they ensue to wrestle immediately. And they wrestle, as the text says, until the break of dawn. And in this wrestling, Jacob wonders, who might this be? And he keeps asking for the name, and the man won't tell him. But the man returns the question. He says, how about you, big boy? What's your name? And throughout Jacob's life, he's been a liar, he's been a swindler, he's been a supplanter, uh, he's been one who would not tell the truth. And here, after hearing God's word uh, with what we would call Jacob's ladder just a few chapters before, I think he starts to face the music. And instead of lying and saying, I'm Esau, or lying and saying what it is, uh, he calls a thing what it is. He says, I'm Jacob. I'm the liar. This is who I am. He faces up to it for the first time in his life. He admits who he is. He admits, even in his own name, his flaws. And then the man responds, Your name shall no longer be liar. Your name shall no longer be Jacob. Your name shall no longer be supplanter or deceiver. But instead, it's Israel. I'm giving you a new name. Because you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. What a glorious encounter. This is where I'm borrowing from Gunter, uh, my co-worker here. Uh, the struggle with God, uh, God knows who we are. I mean, God knows the truth. We can lie and say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm Jay, I'm righteous and holy, I'm a priest at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, I've got all my ducks in a row. Uh, I can say that to all of you, but to God I have to be honest and say, and by the way, my name's James, which is just the anglicized version of Jacob, just so you know. <laughs> Lord, I'm Jacob. Lord, I'm Jacob. And you and I have to have this encounter with God, this honest uh, encounter where we say, and again, it's not because we've been led to do it right, it's because God has pinned us down, and there's nowhere else to go. And we do this every Sunday uh, liturgically, where we confess our sins before God. We face God, face to face, and we say, uh, we've done these things that we ought not to have done, Uh, we've left undone those things which we ought to have done. Uh, There's no health in us, as the old prayer would say. We face God face to face, and our life is spared. It's almost as if God says to us, you're wrestling with me, and your life prevails as well. Not because you're proficient, not because you've mastered me. Remember, God could have certainly, and he does, he leaves a little sign on Jacob's hip. He leaves a little wink reminder that says, I can do with you whatever I want. But he spares him. He spares him. And every Sunday, and not just Sunday, it's not liturgical performance, but every day, every moment, God spares us. And we're given to encounter a gracious and merciful God who forgives us of our sins and who gives us a new identity. We don't have to lie and cheat and steal to get our way. God has given us a new name, a people who are in relationship with Him. Yes, at times we wrestle. Yes, at times we go, and more than at times, often we go the wrong way. But we continually stay in relationship with this God. Uh, Not because we're righteous and holy, but because He's loving. He's loved us, the unworthy. 
and has chosen uh, to, to take us on his journey. And so Jacob becomes a mirror for you and me, uh, not of how things should be, but how things are, how things simply are, that we never graduate from needing God. Jacob never gets to a place in his life where he no longer needs God. In fact, uh, I left a lot of this out as we've, we've skipped several chapters, but continually he prays to God. This guy who lies and swindles and cheats, I think at the end of the day he still knows uh, where he's, uh, on whom he's dependent. He prays uh, that his life would be spared. He prays uh, that his family would be spared, that he would be delivered. And as it turns out, God delivers him and gives him a new name along the way. Now, what's the fruit of all this? Well, he's got right standing before God. That's, that's fruit in and of itself. But it extends out into his actual lived family life as well. When he encounters Esau in the next chapter, this is chapter 33. Again, he's had no outward indication that Esau would come and be forgiving. He's had no, nothing out there. And from his perspective, uh, as Liam Neeson says in the movie, Taken, I will find you and I will kill you. That's the last word he's heard. But check this out. Verse 4 of chapter 33. Excuse me, let me go back even a little further. Let me start at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. By the way, he just wrestled with God all night. He's exhausted. He's exhausted. Jacob lifted up his eyes, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. Yikes. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them. Again, he's facing the music. Bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Can you hear the delight in this uncle's voice? Who are these, my nieces and nephews? I'm so glad to see them. Jacob says, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. I want to stop there. So uh, this encounter, again, there's nothing even in the text, by the way. You and I as the readers, we don't know that Esau's coming graciously. We have no clue. And surprise, surprise, out of nowhere, after God uh, has dealt graciously with Jacob, somehow the Spirit has worked on Esau to deal graciously with him too. Now, can I promise this is the case for you and me? As we get right with God, everything will be just sorted out for you and me? No. That is, not, that is not the truth. But oftentimes, uh, it is sort of a ripple effect. As God uh, speaks His gracious word into us, and we get out there, kind of like Mockingbird, we're chirping that same word everywhere we go, it becomes infectious. I'm not sure how or why Esau heard the word, other than uh, God dealt graciously with him too. But the fruit of uh, God's forgiveness is it extends out into our lives as well. We have that vertical relationship established with God that we are continually in relationship with a compassionate and gracious God. And the hope and the prayer is uh, in our own lives, horizontally, uh, if you will, uh, that that word would go out as well. Again, despite ourselves, despite ourselves, we're going to still mess up. We're still going to drop the ball. And yet God is going to see to it uh, that his will is done. Well, there's more to Jacob's story, but that's really where I want to leave it off and open up for just a few minutes uh, for discussion. Anything from Jacob's story uh, stick out to you this morning? You know, Jay, I just want to understand the text when you were explaining. 
there is a, when they say it's a man wrestling with him, that there was a physical body there, and he thought it was a man, and then when he touches his hip is when we know it was an angel or Jesus or something. Yeah, I mean, the text, again, we're talking about a text written thousands of years ago, and so their assumptions and yours and mine are, are quite different. Much like Isaiah says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But I do think as we read the text, uh, we have every reason to believe it's a physical man. And so again, how do we work that out? Is God uh, incarnate in this man? Uh, we had a discussion at uh, Sunrise Centers about this a few weeks ago. And again, in the logic of Genesis, the logic even of the Old Testament, the logic of the Bible, um, a Trinitarian theology, um, we, we do believe that Jesus is the unique incarnation of God. But we see where God interacts with his creation time and time again. And so it seems like he has a touchdown here. He touches down for just a moment. Uh, you know, I'll leave it to you and your metaphysics to work out the mechanics of that. Uh, and I, I jokingly say that because it's not laid out clearly. Um, but Jacob is assured uh, that he's dealt with God this night, even though God never names himself. I think by faith he sees God's been in the midst of this. This text, by the way, I mean, you and I, not, uh, not you, Debbie, but you and I as Christians, we've inherited a tradition where sometimes, um, sometimes we read the text very woodenly, and we try uh, historically and scientifically to make it fit our worldview. And the text just, it doesn't do that. Uh, and maybe it says to you and me that we need a different worldview uh, is ultimately what's being said. But I think, too, I think the Jewish uh, Hebrew mind uh, sometimes kind of likes to play a little bit. And so I'm not saying this didn't happen historically, but I do think as you lift this text into the broader context of Israel, it becomes a parable for Israel's life. Not just Jacob as a historical person, but for the people themselves. And so they've been called the people of Israel. They're the people who have wrestled with God. And, and despite themselves, God continually blesses them and stays with them. And yes, they've been wounded along the way many times over, uh, but they are a people who've been called out. And so you can hold the historical scientific fact, if you will, but I think the broader scope of what's going on here is this is held out as a paradigm of who God's people are. Much how Jesus would tell a parable in, in the New Testament. Oftentimes these are real people, real places that are actually happening. But we lift those, uh, those moments out of that context to the broader context of what God is doing throughout uh, all creation uh, with his people. But the text does seem to suggest it's a physical encounter. Yeah, I always wondered if it was a dream because it was so confusing that it became supernatural. Yeah. And I don't guess that really matters. I don't think it matters because, again, have you woken up in the night with a sweat? Yeah. And have you felt sore after an encounter in your dream? I mean, I've literally, my, my muscles have been so tense uh, from encounters in my own dreams. So uh, it could have been real or not real. It doesn't really matter. The, the effect is the same. Uh, existentially. Uh, I am stressed out and needing God's grace. Jacob was stressed out and needing a blessing. And his whole life, he's been trying to get a blessing by his own means. And it seems God deals graciously with him here, not because Jacob demanded it, but because God is gracious. Can I ask one more yeah, please. Yeah. Okay, so does he ask for a blessing because he's already saved, because he's Jewish? Like, that sounds like a salvation Yeah, so is your question, I'm just trying to repeat it back to make sure I understand it. Is your question that God saved him because, because he's already uh, part of the covenant, he's Jewish, as it were? Or, I guess my question is, why did they use the word blessing instead of to 
this is the day I brought ushered in salvation. Is it used similarly, or is it, or is maybe I'm missing the whole concept? I think for Jacob's life, he's been looking for a blessing all along, and so this becomes a word in his life that makes sense. But yeah, you can you can substitute for that word, yeah, salvation or God has dealt graciously with me. Um, we, I like the word salvation and being saved. I mean, that's a Christian terminology. It's a, it's, uh, but it's a Jewish terminology as well. And Jewish is not quite the right. Uh, Jewish is not the right word. We can say kind of pre-Israelite or pre, uh, pre-Hebrew. Uh, Jewish is a much more specific term uh, as we go forward. But yeah, I think the word blessing is is unique uh, in Jacob's life here because that's what he's been searching for all along. I think that's how the, the narrative's playing out. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for your questions. Can anybody else relate to, to Jacob? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think absolutely. This is this is a precursor of the tension that's going to come forward in, in Joseph's life. And again, think about your own families. Think about the way your parents or you yourself as a parent or your grandparents or people in your family. We, we, we as, not just parents, but we as people in the world, I mean, we have to understand sometimes our acts, even if it's, a, it's meant to be a good thing on some level, uh, it can be misconstrued, or even if it's a bad thing, it's not misconstrued. I mean, he obviously favored uh, one over the rest. It has an effect, and generationally it has an effect. And so um, I don't have to say more. I don't think each one of us have family members, friends, where we see that kind of thing play out where, again, we as parents, we have to be careful um, how we treat our children because even a good, kind um, gesture towards my son William can be misinterpreted by my daughter Mary or vice versa. I didn't mean for it to harm Mary, but, you know, it does sometimes. So we pray, God, please, may my kids be normal (laughs) and well-adjusted and not needing uh, loads of therapy, not too much therapy from being my children. (laughs) But I think you're right. I think uh, in the narrative, we're seeing it play out even early. And uh, it plays out more as Joseph is uh, sold into slavery in Egypt. Well, friends, that's, that's the conclusion of our time. I'm going to close us in prayer and let us sneak off to 11 for those who need to go. Again, I'm in one of those places. I don't have any 11 o'clock duties, so I'll hang around if you want to chat more. Let us pray. Lord, we do give you thanks for uh, your graciousness to us, uh, that we are a people who've been called into relationship with you. And even at times, Lord, as we wrestle, and even, Lord, as uh, you have to wound us and humble us, uh, you remain with us. And so, Lord, we we pray not for a license to do wrong, but we we do ask that even in our sinfulness that you would be gracious to us and turn our hearts unto you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.